This is the Wicked South Podcast, exploring the dark history of the Murdoch legal dynasty and fascinating criminal cases on both sides of the law. Illegal homemade whiskey. It goes by many names. Moonshine, bootleg, corn liquor, hooch, and my personal favorite, swamp juice. But regardless of what you call it, moonshine is so much more than just alcohol. It's a part of our Southern history and heritage. And what is moonshine anyway? To my ancestors and other poor farmers like them around the South, moonshine was synonymous with self-reliance, independence, and even defiance. To hell with the government and the holier-than-thou Bible beaters. It's a way to make a living and a way of life, a way to ease the burdens of a troubled mind at the end of a long day, and often a way to celebrate special occasions. But to other people, the dirty cops, the crooked prosecutors, it's just another way to use power and influence to get wealthy while others take the fall. Today's episode of the Wicked South podcast, we're going to take you back to the 1950s with a little fiasco, a little scandal called the Great Colleton County Whiskey Conspiracy. This made national headlines and involved Randolph Buster Murdoch Jr., a slew of local bootleggers and officials, and the family and ancestors of Colleton County Clerk of Court, Becky Hill. Hello, friend. The voice you hear there is, of course, of the narrator, historian, Colleton County native, Michael DeWitt Jr. You can catch his work uh, through his books, and also he writes for the USA Today Network. I am Matt Harris. Across from me, sitting crisscross applesauce, is Seton Tucker. Hello, Seton. Hello. Uh, Facebook page, where should they find us? You can find us on The Wicked South Podcast. And the Michael DeWitt socials as well. And... Michael, we got to welcome some new people into the Wicked South podcast. We have some new sponsors. That's right. I am. I am very excited. I am uh, like a twelve-year-old at Christmas time, and I'm about <laughs> to tell you why. We wanted this podcast to be different, special. We just didn't want, you know, normal sponsors. You know, it'd be great to have a multi-million-dollar Coca-Cola or whatever, but we wanted <laughs> some sponsors that would be a part of who we are and that would participate from time to time in our show and add something to our show. And I think that we have, uh, we have definitely got that. So I'm going to announce three sponsors, starting with a dear friend of, of ours from the Murdoch trial. Dr. Kenny Kinsey has founded Kenny Kinsey and Associate. Woo-hoo! And he is, in addition to being a super nice guy and a, a, a brilliant uh, expert, he is, uh, offering a variety of services. He's got, uh, you know, trial services. He'll teach you how to shoot firearms. And I just heard today that he's going to start his own private eye, private investigation uh, firm. So um, oh. we're going to welcome him every week. That'd be great. And, and the star of the Murdoch trial, probably one of the, the most influential uh, witnesses for the prosecution. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just a super nice guy. Uh, in his email to me, he just wanted us to stress when we're talking about his business that it's all about honesty and integrity and not necessarily finding what you're 
the outcome. He wants to find the truth, and I'm oh, yeah. excited to be a partner with him. That's awesome. And I met him in line one day at the Murdoch trial, and he was the nicest person. He was waiting in line with everyone else. I was like, w- w- you're a witness, aren't you? And he was like, no, it's okay. He was just, just genuine. Just a genuine person. We're going to have to uh, go down and get some shooting lessons. We, like we will, and we'll talk more about his uh, his business. Um, and I've also got to share a story at some point. His mother was a police officer, and she arrested me one time in Hampton County. But we'll we'll oh, save that. Wow. Later. Can't wait for uh, that. Uh, <laughs> well, remind me, we'll circle back. But sure. we want to mention two more uh, great sponsors. We have got Palmetto Pride Moonshine from the Upstate Anderson, South Carolina, and. We're going to be sharing lots of information about Palmetto Pride on our Facebook page. Um, we're going to share their website link and all their, their services. And then last but not least, and this is where the 12-year-old boy that's in my heart and soul is getting excited. This sponsor is called Rotten Little Bastard Distillery in Beaufort, <laughs> South Carolina. Oh. So the 12-year-old boy in me gets to say Rotten Little Bastard every week on the Wicked Get a giggle. podcast. <laughs> Uh, yeah. As well as talk about their craft whiskeys and, and vodkas and rums. We're going to talk about rum running and have them on the show. Great. Uh, they they have some some stories of their own to share. So we're we're excited about them as well. Road trip, Seaton. You and I are I, heading I, down. I hope we get some samples. Yeah. So we would really appreciate if you would support our sponsors. It's what helps us keep doing this thing. And occasionally we throw Dwayne or producer like. or some hooch, whichever comes first. Uh, All right, what are we stepping into uh, right here, Seton? So in this episode, as Michael mentioned, we're stepping back to the 50s, and we're talking about the whiskey conspiracy in Culleton County, in which Buster Murdoch, who was a solicitor at the time, was indicted on federal charges. This case made big headlines in South Carolina and nationally. Michael, how did the state paper describe the scandal? Well, I love this line, and I quoted it in uh, several articles and in my upcoming book. But he said it was a scandal that was born in violence on a cold November morning. And on that particular morning in rural Colleton County, a little farm near what today is the Walterboro Airport, federal agents busted a, uh, a bootlegger. Okay, they they busted into his house. Uh, they they shot him. He he survived. It, uh, wasn't fatal, but they shot him. They they stole like several thousand dollars out of his house and just um, really raided this man's farm, his home, and his his liquor still. But the problem was uh, this farmer was this bootlegger was in cahoots with local law enforcement, local judges, and ultimately even the solicitor Buster Murdoch. So they didn't take too kindly to police that they thought were on their side they were paying off knocking on the door and shooting them and that bootlegger's name was doc freeman i'm assuming is he a doctor or they just called him doc i uh, don't have any uh information about him being a doctor <laughs> i think that's just a cool nickname if you are a bootlegger i think that's a yes, good nickname i agree well i mean who does take kindly to being shot um <laughs> so they did survive to face their day in court 30 people Eventually indicted, including Buster Murdoch, who was a solicitor at the time. Charges included conspiracy to defraud the government. That related to IRS laws relating to liquor. So there were many charges that were filed on each of these 30 people. 
And they, how many pled guilty? All but one pled not guilty. Is that right, Michael? I think you're right. There were 30 in, uh, indicted. One person was never located. He, he apparently skipped the country or whatever. And the rest of them pled not guilty and went to trial. But as the uh, evidence was revealed and as um, testimony came forward that pointed the finger strongly at a lot of these people, they, they changed their pleas, a, a good many did, throughout the trial to try to get a lighter sentence. Well, the one guy who was not going to change his not guilty plea was Buster Murdoch. Why would he? <laughs> Super connected when you're the solicitor in that area. What was his actual charges? Well, he, he did a couple of things. Um, and then more charges came out, uh, you know, during the trial or right before the trial. But he, uh, one thing he did was there was a Hampton County bootlegger named Bob Clifton or Robert Clifton. And Buster knew the cops were coming to raid his uh, his still in Hampton County. So he gave him a little heads up and said, hey, move your operation across the, the swamp there in the Colleton County and then you'll be safe. And another thing, the bootlegger who was shot, Doc Freeman, his wife was a very smart woman, apparently. And she kept a notebook of all the crooked, corrupt people they were paying off and how much money they paid them. Whoa. Every time they paid a deputy or a judge, she wrote it down. And I guess a little insurance policy, you know. Well, Buster conspired to get a hold of that notebook. He could not let that notebook get out there. And then, he, of course, he did some other things along the way. But those were the two primary charges. Well, I'm going to talk about that book for a second. Did he ever get the book? In none of the newspaper articles have I seen where he actually got the book. <laughs> So I guess uh, Mrs. Dot was pretty crafty. They already stole her money. They weren't going to. They weren't going to steal her evidence. <laughs> so we mentioned one of the charges against Buster was for conspiracy to transport illegal liquor from Hampton County to Colton County. Colton and Hampton counties are right next to each other, and Alec Murdoch's trial was held in Walterboro, which is in Colton County. In the clerk of court Becky Hill's book behind the doors of justice she tells the story of her grandparents connection to this operation Michael tell us the story uh, right now and we won't we won't talk about the uh, the controversy that's going on right now with uh, with Becky Hill and uh, as her in her duties of clerk of court we'll say that for impact of influence we're trying to 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 really focus on right. history and and um avoid the controversy until it's all worked out in the court system. Correct. But Becky Hill's ancestors, her grandfather, namely in that generation, they were bootleggers. Uh, she told me this story when I interviewed her last year for my book, Follow the House of Murdoch. She writes about it in her book and it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's uh, when we think about these moonshine conspiracies, keep in mind that people like her grandfather, I think his name was Felder Hires. He didn't know Buster Murdoch. He probably never met him. He he was a farmer, you know, trying to make a living. You take some, your corn and make a little shine. You can pay a lot more bills with moonshine than with raw corn. And he probably paid off whoever the deputy was that came by the scene. And he had no knowledge of the whole conspiracy. He had no knowledge of the sheriff being involved, the magistrate, the, the solicitor. But it was people like her grandfather that went, to prison and did time, whether on the local level, state level, or in this case, the, the federal level, um, the, the little guys uh, took the rap while the big fish got away. 
It's kind of like the thing you hear in, uh, you know, mob movies, whatever. You, you pay somebody off to keep your business going, and yet you get busted, and you're sure as hell not going to roll on anybody. And we have to keep in mind, this was in a time that the country was in economic depression, and these people, these farmers, rural farmers, were just trying to find a way to make a living. Yeah, that's true. And, and you know who was making a living? The various law enforcement people who were getting a little kickback here and there. Yeah, they were getting kickbacks from these uh, people who were producing the moonshine and grocery stores and that sort of thing. They would go around, and if you read the articles, they would get a little bit of money. From anybody who was selling it? Yes. Gotcha. I want to talk about this area, the just the geography of it. Um, it's a swampy area, and you need a clean water source, and you also need to be able to kind of hide. Michael, can you describe this area for us? Well, between Hampton County and Colleton County, you've got the, the Little Salt River and the Big Salt Hadji River. It's kind of a natural uh, border between those two counties. And that river goes well into uh, to Colleton County and, and, and other counties. But that's the ideal location to make some shine. You know, you need tree cover to keep, you know, if there's a plane going by or you keep your steam or your smoke kind of under control, you need a water source. And, um, you know, we're the low country of, of South Carolina. We've got uh, streams and, and rivers and swamps and Baptist churches everywhere. And that's the ingredients you need to, to make moonshine. Uh, the, the location and the political or religious environment that kind of frowns on, uh, on alcohol. Well, you've got everything you need for illegal liquors. Michael, I remember we talked a, a while back. I, I saw you had done a really interesting story for the Greenville News and about going into liquor stores and how that is, you know, kind of frowned upon. People just say they want to go into a liquor store to get their rum for their rum cake or that sort of thing. Um, but I don't think some things haven't changed. Well, you know, if you uh, studied the history of Prohibition, um, here in the South, uh, you know, we have a complicated relationship with alcohol. And I, I put that in this in this humor column you're referring to. Um, the uh, And it actually won a, a press award, South Carolina Press Award. But we have a complicated relationship with alcohol. You know, a lot of people drink, but, you know, a lot of people frown on it. We, we do it, but we don't want to admit it. So the historic days when we think of prohibition as being this national thing that only lasted a few years and it failed. Well, we had prohibition in, in South Carolina and, 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 you know, sometimes, you know, alcohol would be legal on the national level, but a, a state might outlaw it or your county might outlaw it and you go one county over and it's a wet county, you know? Mm -hmm. So whoever was in charge at the time, if they were of that mindset, you know, uh, you could get the vote, you could outlaw uh, alcohol in your hometown. It's, uh, let's circle back to this, this whole story that we started with, which is this big arrest that took place and 30 people arrested. So you have the sheriff, magistrate, and Buster Murdoch. The Colleton County Sheriff is G. Haskell Thompson. And this guy, even though he's charged with these moonshine crimes, He's like, I'm staying as sheriff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay as sheriff, even though I've been charged with these things, right? He, he tried to, to, to stick it out, right? 
it's kind of funny. You've got the two most prominent public officials were the solicitor, Buster Murdoch, which is Alex's grandfather, and the, the sheriff. Well, almost immediately, they asked the sheriff to step down. Nobody asked Buster to step down. It was just kind of, <laughs> you know, this awkward situation. They asked the sheriff to step down, and he got a lawyer and uh, tried to keep his job. He tried to fight it. Uh, the, the governor ousted him and appointed a replacement, and he refused to turn in his badge. He went and appealed to a state court to say, hey, show just cause why I should have to turn over my badge, you know. And it went all the way to uh, the state Supreme Court, but he lost. And then the voters uh, turned him out the next election anyway. But the most interesting thing, and uh, I think uh, Seton can tell us more about this, is the situation that Buster Murdoch was in involving uh, two courtrooms. Yeah, so the Greenville News, who you work for, had a headline at the time that said solicitor to be tried in one court and prosecute in another at the same time. What? Yeah. So it was just this really weird situation. I would think at the time that you have busters being tried in one court, but then he's also prosecuting other criminals at the same time. It's possible they all have connections, right? And so if there's not a conflict of interest there, I don't know what is. And the fact that the, the sheriff is what's just, just cause well, how about you've been charged with a whole bunch of crimes for a while? I think he did eventually step down yeah. until this whole situation cleared up. He kept, like Michael said, he went for the appeal and, and lost. Um, so now the moonshine operations, we know that there was payoffs. One of the deputies testified that they would receive $500 a month in cash and whiskey, of course, from the bootleggers. He'd keep 20% for himself and the rest to Sheriff Thompson. Yeah, and really interesting was some of this money was actually exchanged in the Culleton County Courthouse. And testimony revealed that Buster was not very happy about this. So the trial begins in Charleston in the 1950s. I don't have the, the, the date in front of me. But during the trial, a lot of this stuff comes out. Uh, one of the witnesses said, hey, I saw this guy hand deliver a bribe while standing inside the courthouse, the same courthouse that Alex Murdoch was later tried in uh, earlier this year. So the way it works is, um, you know, you've got a moonshine stand, you got to give uh, a certain amount of protection money each month. And half of that went to the sheriff and half went to Buster. Well, that witness said he saw um, a deputy hand the sheriff two $100 bills and hand Buster two crisp $100 bills. And, uh, Buster was, um, and can you, can you imagine the cojones to, to do that right there in the courthouse? But, yeah. uh, Buster was kind of used to operating, you know, with a little bit of secrecy. So he, and he wanted to keep his business kind of on the down low. So he wasn't too happy about doing that, you know, getting the deputy and everybody, uh, around involved in his business, you know? I like to keep my corruption away from my job. <laughs> Two shall not meet. It's always a good idea. Yeah. At the outcome of the trial, a handful of people, we have an idea of how many people were convicted and what came of Buster Murdoch uh, after this trial. Well, uh, Buster was acquitted. You know, a lot of dirt came out during the trial. The judge uh, reprimanded Buster after the trial. A federal Department of Justice memo just blast uh, uh, Buster and he he's acquitted. He he gets back in office. Um, and one of the first things he does after he, uh, is, you know, uh, re regains his seat as solicitor, uh, 
is take revenge against the people who testified against him. Oh, jeez. There were a couple of, uh, of people who had been charged by the feds, and the feds basically said, okay, if you testify against Buster, and um, you know, we'll drop all the charges. Well, he, the same, just like Alex Murdoch is facing state and federal charges for the same exact crime um, or crimes, well, basically Buster charged these witnesses with the state charges. That they, they just got away with the federal charges. And he just went ahead and charged him with the same crime in state court. And mm. they pleaded no contest and went to jail. That is awful. That is terrible. Yeah. And that how is, could he be the one to prosecute them? That's a complete miscarriage of justice if ever there was one. That is insane to me. Well, you know, as we talk about this, we all started thinking there's some similarities here to the Alec Murdoch trial. The first one that I noticed was this trial was expected to last six weeks, which was a very long time for a case to happen in South Carolina, which is the exact same amount of time that the Murdoch trial was expected to last. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. What, what else, uh, Michael, did you see that was similar? Well, and there are also similarities to Russell Lafitte's uh, criminal trial, uh, federal trial in Charleston as well. But Buster took the stand, uh, just like uh, Alex Murdoch did, um, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Russell Lafitte also took the stand in his own defense. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, he did. That's right. And Alec took the, the stand in his defense. And I, I don't know, did he take a cue from his grandfather? Granddaddy did it and got out of it. And got out of it. Yeah. And did you say, was Buster uh, on the stand? I read he was the, the longest witness on stand. Um, I don't remember the length of time, but the newspapers say that it was... Um, a battle of, of wits, basically, um, a battle of words and wits between the federal prosecutors who were questioning Buster and Buster's firing right back. And I think uh, when Alex got on the stand, you know, he was trying to cry and lie, cry and lie. And uh, he didn't have the chops that Buster had. Buster got on the stand and he just fired right back at these prosecutors. And that would have been a, a hell of a show to see yeah. if it was on court TV right now. Sure, sure. And there was intense media coverage of this whole thing. I mean, we've talked about this with the Murdoch trial. People were lining outside of the courtroom, and there were lots of different media from all over the country. In today's day and age, obviously, it would have been us. We would have been there with a podcast. Yes. <laughs> and court TV would have but been there. There was really intense media coverage in this case as well. And there were some allegations of jury tampering. There were no convictions, uh, but there were some pretty strong allegations, even by the in the Department of Justice memo that the defense uh, tried to tamper with witnesses. The defense tried to with uh, with witnesses and jury members. The defense tried to intimidate and threaten a federal um, attorney general uh, and one of Buster's um, cousins. From the upstate, his name, ironically, is also Alex Murdoch, Alex G. Murdoch. Uh, he was actually charged with jury tampering, and his case uh, came in November or December, right after Buster's trial, and he was acquitted, found not guilty. I mean, it all, it's all yeah. rings of uh, something here for organized crime or the mob in today's day and age. And Sydney wrote a note down that says Vulture, and neither of us can remember why we wrote that. I know, Vulture. I can't remember. Why did we write that down, Michael? Well, I, I can answer that, and uh, that kind of sticks in my head. During Russell Lafitte's uh, trial, um, there was uh, his attorney at the time was Bart Daniel, and his attorney called 
um, made a remark about uh, vulture lawyers. Oh, yeah. I don't remember who he was talking to because I wasn't in Charleston covering that uh, oh, uh, in first person. I do. It was about it was about um, personal injury attorneys just in it for themselves being vultures. I guess it was some reference to that. That's right. That sounds right. You know, vulture attorneys, ambulance chasers. So um, he made that remark in uh, November of 2022 during that trial. And during the 1956 trial in federal in, you know, federal court in Charleston, uh, Buster and several all basically all of the corrupt officials were called vultures. Um Buzzards and vultures by the uh, federal prosecutors. Um, I mean, they really let them have it. Just a just a bunch of vultures and buzzards, and um, that just kind of stuck in my head. You know, we're seeing these these, these same um, uh, name calling and 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 choice of words. And I think Eric Bland has kind of adopted that as one of his. Yeah, uh, yeah he got a pen. Slogans, hasn't he? Yeah, he he actually, I think he got a lapel pen or something that had a vulture, and I thought that was kind of cool. Like, yeah, yeah own it. <laughs> yeah, he's got a T-shirt or something that says "Vulture Culture" or something. Uh, so it must be the standard go-to when you are attacking other lawyers is to go with a vulture. Well, I mean, but it's it's a necessary thing that needs to happen. Sure. So. Yeah. Do you have a moonshine story you're sharing with us, Seton? I don't have a big one. I know Michael has a really great one coming up, but we were discussing as we were preparing for this episode about moonshine stories. I don't personally have one, but my husband had kind of a standby me moment. When he was a child, he was in the woods with his friends and they discovered a still. And it wasn't really? an operation, but they got really scared. They just ran away. <laughs> that was my big story. That's a big story. It's not, it's not it's a great quick. one, but it's a quick one. <laughs> Michael, share your moonshine tale with us. I've got a, a story, and it's it's kind of a wild family story. I'm not going to swear that it's a, a 100% <laughs> accurate, but, um, you know, sometimes the truth gets in the way of a good story. And before I really get into this just crazy family moonshine story involving a, a, uh, possum, a dead mule and a bootlegger, <laughs> um, which is one of my favorite all time stories. I'm going to tease this up a little bit. Uh, hopefully we can have our sponsor, uh, Kenny Kinsey on one day. And when we have him on, I'm going to share the story of how his mother, a police officer in Hampton County put handcuffs on me and arrested me back when I was a wild, a wild, uh, a wild child. Um, so that's just something to tease up and look forward to. And now let's let's uh, let's get down to this this crazy moonshine story. My grandfather's mule had died right on the hill of the swamp. And uh, don't worry, there was no foul play, no abuse <laughs> or anything. Just just old age, natural causes. He had died, and uh, my grandfather told a couple of my my other relatives to go out and and bury the mule, give him a proper burial. He had been a hardworking, loyal mule, and they had other plans. Uh, on Saturday nights, they liked to go visit a local bootlegger, and then they would go to the Kusachi Swamp behind the house, and they had a treehouse back there over the the main run of the swamp. And they would sit there and, and, and drink moonshine or drink wine and, and howl at the moon over the Kusachi <laughs> Swamp. And if you've never gotten uh, intoxicated in, in under the full moon of the Kusachi Swamp, I, I can oh. recommend that from personal experience. It's, it's quite fun, quite entertaining. <laughs> um, 
Are you inviting us, Michael? Yeah, is that an but, invite? Is that an invite? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll email you an invite. Absolutely. <laughs> good, good. Uh, so the bootlegger was very similar to Becky Hill's grandfather. He would take anything. He would take, uh, if you had cold, hard cash, he'd take that. If you caught a mess of fish or um, uh, killed a, a bunch of squirrels or a raccoon or a bohog, you know, whatever. If his wife could cook it, uh, he'd take it in exchange for, for moonshine. But his favorite was possum. If you brought him a possum, uh, his wife would put it in the oven with sweet potatoes and, uh, you know, onions and carrots. And just that was just favorite. So if you took him a possum, it had to be a live possum. You couldn't bring him no roadkill trash. He wouldn't accept that. Um, if you took him a possum, he would give you a quart of moonshine and he'd give you a little extra. If you had a, uh, some blackberry wine his wife made, whatever he had, you know, he loved that possum. And just old, old guy, old guy lived in the in the woods at the end of a dirt road uh, on the Hickory <laughs> Hill Swamp. So instead of burying that loyal dead mule yeah. that we talked about, who'd served our family <laughs> so well, these rascals, and I'm not going to change their name because one of them's a, a born-again Christian and one of them is a public official, which I, is even worse. Um, <laughs> let's call them let's call them hank and peewee uncle okay. hank and cousin peewee how about that that's great great names so if you're eating a ham sandwich now i need for lunch while you listen to this podcast i need you to put it down this part we're going to talk just a little bit about uh uh possum biology and possum hunting techniques so you can really understand the story but the way these old guys told me the story, if you wanted to catch a possum, you had to find a dead animal like a like a horse or a cow or a mule or whatever. Uh-huh. And the buzzards would come down from the skies and they would, you know, do their job as buzzards. They would eat the dead animal. Well, a possum can't compete with that. He's just a little tiny fella. He can't fight these, these, these big fellas off. So he climbs up inside the carcass and he eats the animal from the inside out. Oh, nice. Kind of, kind of graphic, kind of, kind of gory, but, um, you know, it's a, it's a fact of life and we can't judge the possum. He's just trying to make a (laughs) living and do what possums do, you know? Yeah. And the way to catch a possum is real simple. It takes two people. You, one person has a croaker sack and you put it over the dead mule's butt. And the other person takes a stick and you beat on the rib cage of the mule. And then if there's any possums inside, they'll come running out what? the mule's butt into the sack and you catch them. What? This is insane. Now, I don't know if this is a factual story or not. All I know is it was told to me by my grandparents and, and my uncles and cousins. And they did drink a little, a little moonshine every now and then. So their memories might be a little impaired. But Uncle Hank and cousin peewee went to the mule and they didn't have a croaker sack that night so peewee kind of hunkered down behind the, the dead mule like, like a quarterback with his hands down underneath the center's butt to waiting to <laughs> get the snap of the ball and oh no uh, keeps uncle, getting worse. Hank, <laughs> <laughs> uncle hank and i'm sorry it's such a long story but i have no. to fill you I in on this, this biology lesson and this that is a great lesson techniques for you to understand the story here um so Uncle Hank gets to beating on the rib cage of the mule and the poor possum's in there and he doesn't know if it's thundering outside or if it's judgment day. So the possum <laughs> gets scared and he runs out of the mule's butt and cousin Peewee catches him with two hands and the possum immediately faints. He goes limp, plays dead. All right. So now they are in business. They have a possum and they're ready to go make this trade. So they jump in uh, the truck and 
they can't just throw the possum in the back of the truck because he'll come back to life and, yeah. and, and, and jump out, you know? So, uh, Hank gets behind the wheel. Pee Wee gets on the driver's side and this possum smells so bad because he just came out of a dead mule. <laughs> so he's holding, Pee Wee oh is holding the possum out of the window of the truck by the tail. And they are going down the road as fast as they can because that possum is, is, is stinking and, they don't want uh, my grandmama to catch them. So they're going to the bootlegger's house. And they get on the long dirt road where he lives. And they're going a pretty fast clip for a dirt road, you know, 40, 50, 60 miles an hour. <laughs> and they're all excited. They know they're about to get a quart of that good moonshine, the kind that'll, that'll you know, you can put in a Zippo lighter. They're about <laughs> to get some, uh, maybe a half gallon of blackberry wine. They're going to go back to the Kusachi swamp and they're going to get as drunk as lords in this, in this tree house in the swamp, oh, which yeah. I'm uh, very envious of. And they get about a hundred yards away from the bootlegger's house. And that possum gets suspicious. He knows something's up. He knows he's about to be part of a transaction and that, in which he's going to come out on the bad end. So that possum comes alive. He crawls up Pee-wee's arm and into the cab of the truck. Okay. So now that possum is just running circles, running laps inside that truck. They're moving at a high speed. They're, the bootlegger's house is right there. Uh, they're, they're trying to hold on to the steering wheel and catch the possum uh, with, the, with the other hand. They don't want him to get away because, you know, right now he's a very valuable commodity right now. So at one point, Hank is driving the truck. At one point, Pee Wee's driving the truck. And right before the crash, I think the possum was driving the truck. So <laughs> they go into the bootlegger's yard at high speed. They take down the mailbox. They knock over the outhouse. And Lord help us, they crash right into the shed where the, the old bootlegger made the moonshine. Oh, no. <laughs> Luckily, Hank was wearing his seatbelt. Pee-wee was wearing his seatbelt, so they weren't injured. But the poor possum, he was ejected through the, 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 the windshield of the, of the Ford truck and landed right in a vat of corn mash. Corn uh, moonshine mash that they were they were fermenting that was almost ready for oh, no. for distilling. And possums are and so cute, by the way. Cute? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> they are not mind. cute. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So do they? Do they? Could I think they would still make it? That would give it a little extra juice. That moonshine. Well, and, 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 you know, it, that's what makes this story so interesting. Obviously, the bootlegger and his wife, they were very upset. Um, all this damage had done. The, yeah. the outhouse was knocked over. So now his wife was going to have to go to the bathroom in the yard. And um, so the whole transaction was over. They, you know, they had to leave and <clears throat> get the, t the truck towed. But that possum, before they could get him out, he sunk down to the bottom of the mash, and they couldn't couldn't get him out. And obviously, you know, rest in peace, the poor possum uh, passed away. Uh, <laughs> rest in peace. But I heard years later that the bootlegger wasn't just going to let a whole 55-gallon drum of, of corn mash go to waste. So he went ahead and, and distilled the moonshine yes. with the possum in there. And the way I heard the story, it turned out to be the best damn moonshine he ever made. Yeah. And that possum <laughs> just added bacteria and flavor. And it helped the, the, the yeast and the bacteria in the corn just work off and produce more alcohol. And 
Sounds delicious. Legend has oh, it, it does sound until delicious. the old man died, he threw a possum into every batch he ever made. He did? <laughs> did he have to catch him out the butt? I mean, uh... <laughs> I don't know. You should see Dwayne's face. If her <laughs> yeah. Dwayne Dwayne like, is like, uh, you know, uh, uh, not for me. <laughs> you, you know, well, you, like I say, I can't verify the accuracy <laughs> of, of every single story my my elders told me. But sounds like um, a good science experiment. Though, let's do it. Let's get a dead animal that you know no, we're not going to kill it. This is all you. Just to see if we get a possum to go up its butt. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff, as always. Uh, you can check out Michael DeWitt's socials. Also, he writes for the USA Today Network. Uh, you can find out more about our podcast. Yes, please reach out to us on Facebook, which is The Wicked South Podcast. Uh, Michael DeWitt on socials. Also, his book, Wicked Hampton County, is out soon. Follow the House of Murdoch book from Michael DeWitt. Yes, can't wait to read it. We have a we have a date on that yet, Michael? It is the end of November. We don't have a firm date, but okay. we're shooting for the end of November, and I'm excited. I'm ready to get this. It's like giving birth to a baby. I'm ready to get this baby out so I can <laughs> you know, get back to my normal life. You're in your last trimester. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm definitely uh, swollen up. I'm ready to, to, to get this sucker out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can catch Michael's work through his writings on the USA Today Network and, and wherever you can find old Michael DeWitt Jr. Hit our sponsors one more time, Michael, if you would. We've got Kenny Kinsey and Associates. Uh, we're going to be talking with them, uh, talking about their their trial work, their uh, upcoming uh, private investigation uh, services. We've got Palmetto Pride Moonshine in the upstate and then Rotten Little Bastard Distillery right here in Beaufort, South Carolina. I'm hopefully going to take a tour uh, of their facility soon and share some of their stories. I think the owner's grandfather was a ATF officer that uh, busted moonshiners up in the Appalachian Mountains. So we've got a lot, mm. lot of, uh, of ways to pull our sponsors in and really get them involved. And check our Facebook page. We're going to feature a sponsor every week and tell you a little bit more about their business and their website. Well, Seton and I will gladly meet you at any of these fine drinking establishments. Great trip. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we will talk to you soon. See you, friend. <laughs>